Welcome once again to Money Talks, a series of interviews with me, Liam Halligan, Economics and Business Editor of GB News. In this episode, I talk to the Right Honourable Kwasi Kwateng MP, Secretary of State for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy. Entering the House of Commons as Tory MP for Spellthorne in 2010, Kwateng was born in London to Ghanaian parents and before politics gained a PhD in history from Cambridge and was then an investment banker. Since entering the business department in 2019, Kwateng's taken a close interest in energy policy and in this wide-ranging discussion, he criticises retailers who keep petrol and diesel prices high even as the price of oil falls, refers to fracking as hugely controversial and in light of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, says successive British governments haven't had a long-term energy plan. Secretary of State, thank you very much for seeing us at this really important time for this country's energy security. Sure. Can we accept that successive governments of all political stripes for several decades in the UK have been naive when it comes to national energy security? I think you're right, uh, Liam. I think if you look over the last uh, 30 years, governments have taken quite short-term views, uh, and this is nowhere more apparent than in nuclear. Our attitude to nuclear energy, frankly, I think has been uh, woeful. Uh, in 1997, uh, Tony Blair said there's no economic reason uh, for nuclear. I think nuclear power gives you a measure of energy independence, gives you a measure of energy security. And that's why when I speak to energy ministers from around the world, it's the French energy minister that uh, seems uh, somewhat more calm. Um, and they know with their nuclear fleet, they've got uh, a large degree of independence. Whereas you contrast that with Germany or Italy, uh, they're much more exposed to Russian gas uh, than the French are. And I think nuclear is something we, we should really focus on. The Tories have been in power for around half the time since 97. I'm just doing the maths in my mind, sure. either with a majority or, or in coalition. Why have we been short term as Secretary of State? There are lots of clever people here in Whitehall mm. where we're sitting in your office. There are lots of clever academics in the mm. UK. We're not short of ideas mm. or technology. We invented civilian nuclear yes, power. Right. We split the atom as British people. Why have we been so short sighted? So what I'd say about energy is that it's really pays to have a long-term plan. Um, and for successive uh, years, uh, we haven't had a long-term plan. That's why I referred to nuclear. I think in the last uh, 10 years, we've been very focused uh, on cost of living issues. We've uh, kept the petrol uh, fuel uh, duty uh, frozen. We've tried to help uh, consumers. But now we're focusing on, on power generation. And that's why, uh, certainly since uh, 2019, since I became a minister here, we, the department has been focused on those longer-term issues, on renewables, on developing um, new uh, forms of technology. Hydrogen, that's a big, exciting technology, which when I started three years ago, people weren't really talking about. We're very, very focused on these new technologies now. And I think there is a plan. We're going to publish a strategy next week, uh, which builds on the Prime Minister's 10-point plan in November, builds on the energy white paper, builds on a lot of the work we've been doing. You mentioned the cost of living. There was already a cost of living crisis. Inflation was already at a 30-year high before this Russian invasion of Ukraine. Since then, oil prices, gas prices have been spiralling on global markets. They've come back slightly again. But many GB News viewers and listeners write to me and ask mm. me, why is it, Liam, that when the price of oil goes up, petrol and diesel instantly goes up a lot on the forecourt? But when the price of oil eases back slightly, or quite a lot as it has over the last week, Petrol prices and diesel prices stay the same. What should I tell 
those GB News viewers and listeners? I think we should get more uh, information about that because I hear that anecdotally. And I think it's really bad and wrong for companies simply to be you know, keeping the high prices uh, to reflect higher prices. And then when those come down, uh, to keep those higher prices. I think that's something which, you know, we should we should be focused on. There was on. a Prime Minister's roundtable on energy, rightly so at this yeah. point. On Monday, I think you were there with there other ministers. That. Shell were there, Esso mm. were there, BP were there, some of our biggest petrol retailers. Did you ask them my question? Well, we talked really about the North Sea uh, and ex- exploration of the North Sea because those companies have had uh, a difficult time politically because of uh, all the focus on, you know, the net zero, the eco-warriors, Extinction Rebellion, and, and what we were trying to establish in that meeting was uh, the North Sea is open for business. But that's a point that I would, I'm seeing many of these people next week. It's a point I'll raise directly with them. I look forward to hearing the outcome of Absolutely. that meeting. It's very much on people's minds. Would you say that household utility bills are going to go up even more? We already know there's a big increase coming in April, 54% rise as the off-gen right. price cap was increased. That price cap was increased before the implications on global energy prices of Russia, Ukraine. Some analysts, credible industry analysts, are saying we could see an even bigger rise this coming autumn. Do you agree with that analysis? So firstly, I'd say the price cap is absolutely crucial. And I've been very, very consistent the price cap stays because that's protecting consumers, protecting people in this country, our people, uh, from really large uh, rises in wholesale prices. 700 pound rise on average in April. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough, but I think the, the, the gas prices, you know, has gone up uh, six times uh, since this time last year. So that's a huge uh, increase, and the price cap protects people. In terms of the next period, because the, the, the next period of the price cap will be announced in August, uh, we have to wait and see. We don't know where gas prices will be. Uh, they went up very, very high, went up uh, extremely high at the end of the beginning of last week. They've come down a measure uh, this week, and we just have to wait and see what happens. So I'm not in the business, frankly, of predicting what the gas price will be even in two weeks' time, let alone in, six, in four months' time. Should we be scrapping VAT on household fuel bills? It seems to me that the Chancellor's got lots and lots more sure. money in because of inflation. The IFS, the Institute for Fiscal mm. Studies, have put out some analysis saying £12 billion more than he expected just from the freezing of income tax thresholds as well as extra fuel duty as petrol and diesel prices have spiralled. Surely it's time to give people a little bit of relief, even if it's only 5%. After all, the poor pay so much more of their income for fuel than the rich. So, Liam, I think you're right to say uh, that we have tried to protect, we should try and protect the most vulnerable people. Uh, the, uh, the Chancellor had announced his, his package uh, a few weeks ago, uh, £200 off bills uh, to be repaid over uh, Again, before Russia-Ukraine. That was before Russia-Ukraine. There was £150 off uh, council tax bills for bans A to D. So there has been some support. He will, as you know, have a spring statement next week, uh, and we have to wait and see what, where he is, because as you say, the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine has changed uh, the landscape on this, and we've got to try and react to that. Some would say it's not the time for posturing about small state ideologies. We know the Chancellor spent heavily during the pandemic on furlough and so on. Understandably, but doesn't he need to spend again in order to give hard-pressed, not just households, but also firms suffering with very high yeah. energy bills? Firms in those red wall seats, energy-intensive manufacturers, a lot of their, those companies, they may not be viable given these higher fuel prices. Look, there's a hell of a lot of pressure in the system. You're quite right. 
And what the Chancellor uh, and I, in my conversations with him, have said, uh, and with the Prime Minister, is that we want to protect uh, our, our, our people. We want to protect consumers, particularly very vulnerable consumers, against high prices. And I'm sure that's at the front of the Chancellor's mind. And we'll have to just wait and see where we are in the spring statement. The Telegraph, a paper I know well, uh, yes. had a headline just a couple of days ago, net, net zero rules on the chopping block to boost North Sea oil. Is that true? Well, look, net zero uh, is obviously a very interesting subject to debate. People are very engaged with it. It happens to be the law of the land. So net zero is something that uh, you know, we'd want to decarbonise. But how we get there and what the means we get uh, there, that's a matter of wide debate. I've always been clear that gas is a transition fuel. We can't simply do what Extinction Rebellion would like us to do and simply just switch the lights off, uh, no pun intended, on the North Sea. We can't do that. Uh, for lots of reasons. One, uh, there's a strong economic reason. We employ some 250,000 people in uh, the, the oil and gas sector here in the UK. Uh, and secondly, more importantly, that gas is our gas. It means that we're, I talk about energy independence, it means that we're independent. We're not reliant on Russian gas. We're not reliant on you know, liquefied natural gas from Qatar or wherever it might come from. The North Sea is really important for our energy security. It's also important for uh, jobs. And it also, the gas from it, d d drives new technologies like hydrogen manufacturing and also carbon capture. All of these things depend uh, on North Sea gas. And I think it's absolutely right that we should, we should be focusing on that. And yet you all know in recent years, as the net zero agenda has come to the fore, it's been harder and harder for the oil industry, the gas industry, to develop fields in the North Sea, to get permission to develop fields in the North Sea. You were very honest and open at the beginning of this interview about the fact that we as a political and media class policymakers have been naive about energy security. Do you think we've do you think we've prioritized over recent months and years virtue signaling when it comes to the net zero agenda over grown-up questions of whether or not we can indeed keep the lights on? So look, I think uh, you have a you make a, a good point. I think that we've been focused on uh, net zero. Lots of people are focused on not net zero. I look, um, but they're not called out on this, the Labour Party. In 2019, they said we were going to have net zero by 2030, um, which would have had a devastating impact on uh, what we're talking and about. And you, you've moved it to 2050? Well, no, no. We had a, our position to 2050 was before that. And they said, no, 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 2050 is too late. The planet will be destroyed. So we've got to move it to 2030, which is completely non-credible. It was not... A feasible policy. But when you look at the, the, the footage of COP26 in Glasgow, you know, ministers chest beating in tears, doesn't it all look a bit ridiculous? Well, it, look, I think to say that the climate issue is, is, is ridiculous is not right. But I think we've got a balanced approach, okay? We think that we should decarbonise, but we should do it uh, in a way that is realistic, and we should look to affordability and security. That's our plan. The Extinction Rebellion, uh, the eco-socialists, whatever you want to call them, would say that we've got to try and rush to net zero regardless of the cost, regardless of the impact on ordinary people. And that's where uh, I would disagree with them. Isn't that a bit of a false dichotomy, though, between the, the government of, the great, of great Britain and Northern Ireland, mm. uh, on the one hand, and quotes the eco-warriors, the Extinction Rebellion people on the other. There's, you know, the vast majority of people are in the middle somewhere. No, and, I think... And, I think and, they, and they need to pay their bills now. Yeah. And they're being charged, Secretary of State, 25% of their electricity bill is for renewable so, subsidies, so, often going to big conglomerates, landowners. Why not delay those that 25% uh, subsidy to green 
uh, energy on people's electricity bills that they're paying now. Why not? Why not delay the renewal obligation so, for so energy-intensive firms until so, we get through this? Situation? So, in terms of the, where the majority of people are, my sense is that they are not with Extinction Rebellion. But a lot of people, and I would say a majority of people, do care about climate change. They do care about uh, you know the changing weather patterns. They see. Uh, the effects of that around the world. they want less pollution, obviously. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so I would say to you that the approach of the government is quite a balanced one. Uh, we're saying that there is an issue uh, with pollution, there is an issue with burning fossil fuels, but we're not going to do that. To the ex uh, we're not going to reduce, uh, you know, dependency on 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 traditional forms of energy to the point where we're going to completely, uh, you know, put massive burdens on 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 our people. We can't do that. And as I've said, I think gas is a transition fuel. Gas uh, allows us, unlocks new technologies. It keeps uh, security uh, because it's in the North Sea. And it allows us to have energy independence, which is critical. But wouldn't it be better to take subsidies for renewables out of general taxation rather than loading them on the bills of households, again, with poor households paying sure. a much higher share of their income, on those fuel bills rather than loading those renewable subsidies on energy companies that are energy intensive across the red wall seats, manufacturers, uh, all kinds of uh, hands-on mm. companies that use and use lots of energy. Why not shift it to general taxation? We're unusual in this country for putting it on our energy bills. The Germans have just taken these renewable sure. subsidies off their energy bills. Why can't we, at least for now? So we're looking at a range of, uh, we're always looking at, at options. We're always looking at you know, the balance, you know, how we can support energy intensive industries, how we can protect consumers. We're always looking at those things. But you will know, as an experienced journalist and economist, that all those fiscal issues are things uh, for the Treasury. Uh, I uh, share my thoughts with them. Uh, and I want to protect consumers. That's my primary focus. Let's talk about fracking, which is a very contentious sure. issue. Francis Egan, who runs Quadrilla, who you will know is the company that's done most to prepare shale yeah. gas wells for production, shall we say. They sure. spent millions of pounds, employed hundreds of people. Francis Egan tells me that as things stand, he's still being told by the Oil and Gas Authority, basically a branch of the state, to concrete up so that's his not shale true. wells. So that's, as of yesterday, he was... Uh, told very clearly that... So to be clear, that's Wednesday. Yeah, uh, this week. <laughs> um, he was told very clearly that he should apply for an extension. So the ball, as far as we're concerned, as I'm concerned, is very much in his court. He can either apply for an extension, a 12-month extension, or not. And it's up to him to do that. And actually, he's been... Uh, the OGA uh, chair, CEO, Andy Samuel, who I've spoken to the regularly about this. Yeah. That's right the Oil and Gas Authority, has said very clearly that he would be minded to grant him an extension. But you did so say in the Commons very recently, Secretary of State, late last week, I believe, that you'd been speaking to your right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, mm. and between you, you didn't now think it was a good idea to concrete up these fracking yeah, wells. But, you but, said that at but, but, but we see, Have you softened your stance on No, fracking? no, no, no. So, so, so where we are on this is that I, as Secretary of State, can't command the, the wells to be open or, uh, or, or, yeah. or shut down. Because OGA is an independent That's right. We don't, body. you know, I'm not, yeah. uh, you know, we're not yeah. in a dictatorship where I can just say, you know, this is what happens. So the job of the keeping them open is very much squarely in uh, the, the, the court of the company who have been asked to apply for an extension. And all they have to do is ask. And my understanding is that they'll be given, they'll be allowed to make the extension. And, uh, and in terms of the, the, the general issue, 
My issue with fracking is that I don't think, even if I said, yes, let's go ahead with it, uh, I, I don't understand what, how it would affect the global price because it's a global market, increasingly so now, actually. Uh, and also, you, you've got to be uh, you know, frank about the fact that it's a hugely controversial subject. Um, I was, uh, only three years ago, we were, they were drilling in um, Preston New Road. Um, and uh, the seismicity, which is basically the Richter scale earthquakes, was 2.9 on the Richter scale. And that's why we, st we stopped it. That's why there was a pause on it, because there was too much seismicity. There was something like 20,000 complaints. Uh, and people didn't, didn't like it in their local area. And that's the, 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 there's the rub. That's where the challenge is, because you've got lots and lots of people who are frankly uh, opposed to it. Quadrilla, other pro-fracking lobbies say that those uh, issues linked to fracking have been over-exaggerated. Mm. They've been... The flames have been fanned, if you like, by a well-funded yeah. environmental lobby. Yeah, you're, you're a very analytical mm. chap, if I may say so. You've got a PhD in history. Mm. And by the you know, it, my discussions across the energy industry, mm. a lot of people think you are a Secretary of State who really is across the brief. And you've mm. taken a huge interest in, in these issues, if I may say so. Mm. So you will know, Kwasi Kwarteng, that in the States... They are fracking. Sure. Yeah. And in the States, even though there is a global market for That's energy, right. even for gas, given that you can ship gas sure. across oceans as LNG, but wholesale gas prices in the States are six times lower than they are here. Yeah. And they are fracking and we're not. You can't ignore that. No, I can't. And, but the biggest difference, and you said I'm analytical, quote some numbers at you. If you look at a state like Wyoming or uh, the Dakotas, both Dakotas, where they do a lot of fracking, the, uh, in ha the population density, so that's the number of people who live in a square kilometer, is about two or three, okay? So those huge states, those are huge areas where there are lots and lots of wells and you've got two people every square kilometer, two people. In Lancashire, that number is 493. So where we were fracking, there are 493 people a square kilometer, whereas in a lot of the parts of uh, the United States, uh, it, even in Texas, it's a tenth of the population density of, of, of Lancashire. And in places like Wyoming and South Dakota, it's about a 200th. So, 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 so Lancashire is 200 times It sounds like you're ruling more. out fracking. I'm, I'm not, like, I'm just giving it you... It like it's not gonna happen. No, no, I'm just giving There's you... lots of difficulties. I'm just giving you practical... Yeah, yeah, yeah. High population <laughs> density is an issue. Yeah, I'm just sure. giving you practical reasons. And that's not gonna change though, is it? it in won't. the next three it to won't. six months. It won't, When you've gotta make the decision. It won't. So, so all I'm saying is that I'm giving you practical reasons. You know, not theoretical, not theology, not, you know, I'm giving you practical reasons why it is challenging in the UK, uh, given the smallness, frankly, uh, of, our, of our geography, given the fact that we're, we're not, we don't have vast acreage of empty spaces where we can put drills in at will. We don't have that. So there, it is a practical difficulty. So it strikes me, Secretary of State, when this British energy security strategy is published next week, Bit, bit delayed. Maybe you can comment on that if you like. Mm. It's going to be all about more North Sea oil and gas, where we have dragged our feet or we have been a bit more pro yeah. net zero. Uh, more nuclear, but nuclear takes a long time. Hinkley Point C is the first you know, big mm. reactor we've built for a very long time. A lot of our nuclear is being decommissioned. And even the Rolls-Royce sure. modular nuclear reactors, yeah. which I know are very popular within government, even Rolls-Royce themselves say we're looking at five years plus sure. before they come online. So it seems pretty thin given the concerns we have as a nation 
in terms of energy security? So I'll say two things about that. Firstly, it's energy infrastructure. So it's not something that I could just conjure out of the ground in, in a couple of days or even next week or in a couple of weeks. But we've got to make the step forward. We've got to think more long term. And all the things you're saying, the renewables, uh, the offshore wind, uh, the nuclear, all of those things give us more resilience in, in, in the medium term. Short term, I think we're gonna, we've done, we've seen fiscal interventions, uh, the chance of 200 pounds, 150 off uh, council tax. Um, well, let's see what let's see what he says. Let's see where we are next I mean, week. We in terms need of the to spring, expect more in terms next of the week, in terms we? of the spring statement. Let's just see. I'm not I'm not prejudging. I'm not anticipating. I just want to see that. But also in the short term, I think you can bring on uh, gas in the North Sea because uh, last year, um, through in the run up to COP26, there was a, a real um, how can I put it a real uh, skepticism about the ability to invest in the North Sea. We've reversed that. We've said that this is open. We've said that well, the North Sea transition... Well, $100 oil helps. It yeah, helps and that the investment does too. case. Yeah, it does. All of those things. And actually, a lot of that uh, gas can come on stream, as you know, quite quickly. Yeah. So that's an immediate, uh, immediate help. And of course, a commitment to the, the price cap, which I've always maintained, uh, does help people considerably. Yes, it increased, but the, the, the wholesale price went up six times, as you know. Um, and, the, and the increase was, uh, in the price cap was, was a lot, lot less than that. Now, a lot of my friends and relatives uh, are plumbers, they're car dealers mm. and so on. It's how I really got interested in, in the economy. Mm. Um, uh, the car dealers tell me that 2030 to scrap new petrol and diesel cars is completely unrealistic. Uh, the plumbers tell me that heat pump technology is by no means near there. Sure. And yet we're all going to have to repair our heaters. Surely these targets that government have set, you know, just in a few years' time, are unrealistic and are part of the naivety that we talked about earlier. I think you can surprise yourself, uh, Liam, about how quickly we can adopt technologies. I mean, I look at offshore wind. Ten years ago, we said, this is ridiculous. This is never going to take off. People were saying that. Today, it's responsible on a windy day for 35% of the uh, power we generate. Ten years ripping ago, ripping out boilers ten, in Victorian no, terraced housing—is that it, really going to happen? Ten in years, five years, ten time? years ago, forty percent <laughs> of the electricity around uh, was from coal. Yeah, uh, and today that's two percent. Yeah. So in ten years, things can totally transform. So and I we've think we've got an energy security problem. Um, but I think we've got, as I say, we're trying to fix that. We're trying to invest in it. And I think in terms of EVs, I mean, it's interesting. You know, the people electric you're talking vehicles. To, yeah, electric vehicles, exactly. Um, I talk to automakers, as I'm sure you do. They're all moving to EVs. They all see that as the future. Um, and I think the 2030 target, and rem let's remember what the, t the target is. The target in 2030 for cars is you won't be able to buy yeah, it's for new. cars. Yeah, yeah. yeah, for new cars. So you, th there will still be some old yeah, yeah. cars on the road. But for new cars, I think that's, that's an, a very much an achievable target. Is there a danger that this EV technology is actually a bit of a dead end? Because just hear me out. Sure. With EV, it's all about the batteries. The batteries rely on those rare earths, mm. uh, minerals, lithium and so on, sure. that are only really in China or some quite difficult parts of Africa, mm. with all respect. Mm. Aren't we making ourselves as dependent on difficult, far-flung countries with EV as we are with the internal combustion engine driven by no, oil so and petrol? I, I, you, I agree, again, like all these things, I agree with you up to a point. But there is actually an op opportunity here to have independent, uh, what they call a supply chain, independent uh, sourcing 
of these critical minerals. I mean, I was only in Cornwall a couple of weeks ago. Mm. You've got two lithium companies in Cornwall. Who are, who are looking... Paul Dark. <laughs> well, I'm not sure whether Paul Dark was a, actually he was a tin guy, wasn't he? Was a, but, um, but, 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 it, but again, I mean, and, and seriously, those tin mines yeah, show there's a yeah, wealth of mineral, yeah. uh, there's a mineral wealth in Cornwall, and people are looking to get a, a lithium out of it, which will feed into the manufacturer of, um, uh, of batteries for electric vehicles. So that's absolutely something that we're looking at. I think there is an, a, an opportunity. Uh, not only to kickstart a new industry in terms of electric vehicles, we've had you know something like two and a half billion pounds of investment in the last year. Uh, British Vault uh, in Blythe, we had a uh, billion pounds from Nissan, and you'll remember they said Nissan would leave because of Brexit. Right. Do you remember that? Yeah. They've doubled down on their investment. So all of these things are creating jobs, creating opportunity, and we're also looking at the critical minerals, uh, how we can source them reliably uh, in the UK or from allied countries. Last couple of questions, if I may, Secretary of State. Um, that British energy security strategy, it has taken quite a long time, hasn't it? We expected it last week, I think. Well, it was announced, what, 10 days ago, two weeks ago? So there are and it'll come big out discussions in a few days. going on. Well, look, these things evolve. I mean, you've been around government long enough. I mean, I, I, there are very few government documents that have been landed on the day that people said they'd be published. Lots of things are happening. We've had a Ukraine. The prime minister's had to go uh, to um, abroad. Uh, he was in Saudi. He was in the UAE. Things happen in government all the time, but this strategy will come out next week. And I must ask you, you're the first senior member of the government we've spoken to uh, here on GB News since the wonderful release of Nazanin Zaghari. Wonderful, yeah. Could you just give me your response to that? I think it's an extraordinary thing uh, for her to have her freedom back, because many people thought that would never happen. It was just wonderful to see this morning her with her family, um, her child uh, and her husband. Um, and I think that... It does show that diplomacy can work. I think we worked very, very hard. Uh, the Foreign Office worked very hard. This trust, I think, worked uh, very hard. But beyond all of that, what she went through, I think, is unimaginable. I mean, to be in a prison in Iran, not knowing whether you'll ever be released, uh, it must be an extraordinary thing that she suffered, and I'm delighted that she's back. Kwasi Kwarteng, thank you for talking to me here on thank GB you. News. Thanks a lot for listening to Money Talks with me, Liam Halligan, Economics and Business Editor of GB News. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube or wherever you're listening. Do subscribe to this podcast and also check out my daily television show, On The Money, at 1pm Monday to Friday on GB News or via the GB News app. GB News, Britain's news channel.